Tempted and tried, we're off made to wonder why it should be thus all the day long while there are others living about us never molested though in the wrong but farther Will understand 
look in the Gospel according to St. Matthew in chapter number 16. If you'll turn with me in your Bibles, please. The Gospel according to St. Matthew in chapter number 16. And a great chapter of the Word of the Lord. We've preached here on a host of occasions. Use these verses as well as verses that... Um, are preceding this verse of our text today on a host of occasions. It is a place where I spent a lot of time preaching back in the late 80s and early 90s, and certainly all of my ministry, but early on in my ministry I embraced this chapter, and the Lord used it to speak to my heart, and I want to thank God for that, and I want to praise the Lord that the truths of it remain consistent and unchangeable unto this day. One of the reasons why things do not make sense as time goes by is because man changes so much. Those things he was so dogmatic about 10, 12, 15, 20, 30 years ago seems like he has almost forgotten about 10, 20, 30, 40 years later. You don't know that when you're young. All you hear is the dogmatism of those who are around you. When you get older, you realize that the things that they were dogmatic about, they don't even agree with anymore, don't even believe anymore, that those things you had to be on the same page with them about, they pretend like they never knew anything about that. And it man changes. He is as fickle as, and as uh, undependable as water, like a wave of the sea that is tossed. He's double-minded and unstable in all of his ways. But God never changes. And God's Word never changes. And the sooner you come to the reality of the truth of God's Word, that He's the only thing that lasts, and He's really the only thing that matters, and He's really the only thing that's true, and the only thing that's consistent, and the only thing that's right, then you'll find yourself, when things don't make sense, just running to Jesus and saying to Him, Lord, I may not know what else is right, and I may not know what else is real, and I may not know what else is true, but I know you're true. And I know you're right. And I know you're real. And so I'll put my confidence wholly and completely in you. And I'm glad that we can this morning. If you're able and willing, I would invite you to stand with us while we read the word of the Lord from Matthew chapter 16 and in beginning in verse number 21. Matthew 16 and beginning in verse number 21. The word of the Lord says... From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him. Can you imagine trying to straighten Jesus out? I mean, that's what Peter has done here. I'm going to take Jesus and straighten him out. I don't like the way Jesus is talking. I don't appreciate what he has said. I don't think he is right. Not only that, if that is what he's got in mind, he needs to change that. I mean, can you fathom the hubris? There's your nice word. to Put that one in uh, your list there, Brother Randy. Carry that one back to Ramburn, Alabama. Can you imagine the hubris? that it would take, he's writing it down over there, the hubris that it would take, make sure you know what it means before you go back and use it in Alabama. Um, I don't know that that matters. They won't know what it means, so just use it when you want to. Then can you imagine the hubris, the, uh, the boldness that you would have to have to look Jesus in the eye and say, I am not going to have what you are saying. Oh, my soul. Be, and he said to, to, to uh, Jesus, be it far from thee, Lord. You're way off base here, Jesus. This uh, shall not be unto thee. But he turned, Jesus turned, and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. You're acting like the devil, in other words. Thou art an offense unto me. If it wasn't enough that what Peter said to Jesus, Jesus looks to Peter and tells him he's acting like the devil and that he is offending Jesus. What a rebuke that he's receiving. For thou savest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, the whole crowd, if any man, including this fellow Peter who got it wrong, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. 
For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? I made notes 25 years ago in my Bible concerning that verse that there is a demand for the soul. The Lord and the devil want it. There is durability to the soul. It will last forever. And there is development for the soul in salvation and in sanctification. Verse number 27, For the Son of Man shall come in glory when He comes from His home in the sky. Hallelujah. For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of His Father with His angels, and then He shall reward every man according to His works. Verily I say unto you, there shall be some standing here which shall not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. Now, really, I'm not even preaching on verse 28. I did not want to leave it out because I want to cover something with you this morning, so I want to say it while we're here. Notice verse 27 says, When He comes, the Son of Man shall come in the glory of His Father. And then verse 28, He says that Son of Man cometh, last phrase of the verse, Son of Man cometh in His kingdom. There have been scholars who have scratched their heads for 2,000 years about what verse 20, 28 must mean. You mean to tell me that there's some of those people that Jesus was talking to on the mountain that day that were not going to die till Jesus came back in heaven. But that is not what he said. In verse 27 he says, The Son of Man's coming in glory with the Father and His angels. Verse 28 said, The Son of Man cometh into His kingdom. Some of you, he changes gears in verse 27 to verse 28. Son of Man's coming in with His Father and the glory of His angels in heaven. But some of you that are standing here... You're going to see the Son of Man go into the kingdom. What did he say about his kingdom, Brother Matthew? His kingdom's not of this world, but his kingdom is of the Father. What he's telling them is he's nigh unto the time when he will suffer, when he will suffer the, uh, the Pharisees and of the scribes and of the leaders. He's going to Jerusalem. He's going to die and he's going to be buried and he's ascending back to the Father. Some of you that are standing here will see what is taking place when I come into my kingdom. Do you remember what the thief said on the cross? Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Everybody help me out. Kingdom. And so when he comes in glory, that's not when he's coming into his kingdom. When he graduates from the cross to before his father, when he rises from the grave again to present the first fruits of those taken from Abraham's bosom, that's when he enters into his kingdom. But at the last day when he returns in the clouds is when he comes with his father in glory. He has already entered into his kingdom, but he hadn't, my friend, come again in the clouds in great glory. But as surely as what he went back to his kingdom, he's coming again in his glory. The same Jesus that was buried rose again. The same Jesus that rose again ascended back to the Father. And that same Jesus is coming again in his glory. Now praise the Lord for that. Now, having said that, that's the side sermon. The main dish this morning is what Jesus does here twice. He uses the word disciple. Jesus began to teach His disciples in verse 21. In verse 24, Then Jesus said unto His disciples, I'm preaching if the Lord will help me for a little while on what it means to be a disciple. You can be seated this morning. Thank you for standing with us while we read the Word of the Lord. Read more Scripture, said more about it than is my custom as we're standing, but I believe that was what the Lord wanted us to do in our text this morning. We'll remain in this 16th chapter of the Gospel according to St. Matthew today as we deliver the message. What it means to be a disciple, or simply I'm preaching to you about discipleship. Now Jesus sets about to teach His disciples, His followers, some vital lessons in these precious verses of Scripture. In verse 21, He tells us about the suffering. The Bible says that He told them three horrendous things must happen. He said, I've got to go to Jerusalem. He said, I must suffer many things at the hands of those religious leaders and be killed. Three horrendous things must happen to the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter heard these three horrendous things so firmly in his mind 
and he got so upset about them that he didn't even hear the fourth thing Jesus said. The three horrendous things. I've got to go to Jerusalem. They know he's got enemies at Jerusalem. I must suffer many things of the religious leaders and be killed. Those three horrendous things were so weighing heavy on Peter's mind that it's like he shut his mind off and didn't even hear the fourth thing because the fourth thing told of his superiority and be raised again on the third day. Now, if Peter had listened to the whole thing, he would surely wouldn't have been so upset in verse 22. He would have said, oh, I, I see now Jesus is going to suffer, but he's going to be victorious. There'll be a battle, but he'll win the victory. Instead, Peter got so caught up in the first three that he didn't listen to the most important one, and that was the last one. Here is a lesson for you and for me. It is dangerous when we hear something from the Lord and then cut him off and won't hear the rest. It's dangerous when we hear part of what he wants for us and then we shut him down and say, Lord, I don't want that. Chances are the reason why we don't want it is we hadn't heard the end of the story yet. And must be raised again on the third day. And my friend, whenever Peter then heard these things and he didn't listen to the fourth thing, that fourth thing being that he would be raised again. He heard the suffering but he didn't hear about the superiority. And Peter begins to rebuke the Lord and say, be it far from thee. But Jesus said, you're acting like the devil, Peter. You're acting like the devil. And not only that, he tells him to get behind it, that he's offended Jesus, that he is opposed to Jesus, that he savors the things that are of men. Peter wants an earthly kingdom. Peter wants a kingdom that is made by man. And Jesus tells him before this chapter is over with, you're going to see a kingdom. You're going to see a kingdom. It ain't the one you're looking for. It's not the kind that you expect. It's not how you would define it. But you're alive and you will be alive to see me enter into my kingdom. And so they did see those things. It's amazing how quickly Peter declined here. I'll get more into that in just a moment, but this is a chapter where the Lord Jesus has been bragging on Peter and just that fast he misses the boat. When you lose sight of the Lord Jesus' superiority, you will quickly backslide and get out of place with Jesus. He saw only the suffering and not the victory. He saw only the suffering and not the superiority of Christ. When you lose sight of Christ being above all and when you lose sight of Christ being Lord over all you'll quickly decline spiritually. And so Jesus teaches them of suffering in verse 21, of superiority at the end of verse 21, of His supervision in verses 24 and 25. As He said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. If you really want to be a disciple of Christ, He tells you what that Lord discipleship relationship really is like. It's not one where you decide how you will serve Jesus. But it is one where you deny yourself. You deny your impulses. You deny your desires. You deny your own aspirations, goals, and uh, your own own plan. And you submit to the plan of God. Jesus called it losing your life. And he that will save his life will lose it. And he that will lose his life for my sake shall find it. My friends, so often we preach about Christ giving His life for us. And He did. But not only did He tell us that He would give His life for us, be buried and rise again, but He said, I want you to give your life to Me. God is interested in you giving your life to Christ this morning. He gave His life for us. And if you will be a disciple, you will give your life to Him. And listen, giving your life to Him is not lost. Giving your life to Him is gain. If you hold on to it with both hands, the best you can do is the best you can do. Are you listening to me this morning? If you hold on to your life with both hands, the best you can do is the best you can do. But if you will give your life to Jesus, the best you can do is the best He can do. And so if you will lose your life for the sake of Christ, you'll find it. You'll learn what living really is when you quit trying to do it yourself and give it to Jesus. You'll learn what life is really all about when you let go.
go and let God have control of your life. So long as you sit at the wheel. So long as you wear the captain's hat. So long as you are the general of your own life. Hey, you will lose your life because the best you can do is the best you can do. But if you'll give it all over to Jesus. Give it all to Jesus. Broken hearts. Wounded souls. Give it all over to Jesus. You'll find out the best you can do is the best He can do. And He is far superior unto us. Don't lose sight of the superiority of Christ. And so these are the lessons He's teaching us. The suffering, the superiority, the supervision. And then He teaches us a soul lesson in verse 26. For what is it man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? The soul, the eternal value of man and his life is in the soul. Man is not a living body. Man is a living soul. God breathed in his nostrils in Genesis 3 and he became a living soul. Man is not a body with the soul. Man is a soul with a body. My friend, I am not an a temporal being having an eternal experience. I am an eternal being having a temporal experience. I'm here but just for a little while. I am not a natural being having a spiritual experience. I am a spiritual being having a natural experience. I am not a body with a soul, but I am a soul with a body. This earthly tabernacle is just that. It's a house. But one day, the house of this earthly tabernacle will be dissolved, and I will have a better building yonder in the heavens reserved for me and for you. And my friend, that eternal part that resides in me now, and my friend, it will live forever. It will die no never. I'm going to a land where the soul never dies. If you, my friend, live for this guy out here, and neglect this man in here, you're living for the little while and not for the eternal. You're living for the here and now and have forgotten about the hereafter. If you really want to prioritize, realize what's important about your life is not the next ten minutes and the six feet that surrounds you. But what really matters is the long haul. What really matters is the end game. What really matters is eternity. What really matters is what lies on the other side of this river. Live in light of the judgment. Live in light of eternity. Live in light of something bigger than life under the sun. Life under the sun. If you have no God in your life, if you have no spirit in your life, if you have no purpose in your life, is a vanity and vexation of spirit over and over and over again through the book of Ecclesiastes. It is vanity and vexation of spirit. But you know what gives us purpose? When you remember now your creator, when you understand you're going to stand before God and give an account of the deeds done, not by this body, but in this body. My friend, we're going to give an account of deeds done in this body, whether they be good or whether they be evil. And it will be, my friend, on that day, the soul of man that answers to the soul of God. It is what connects us to the Lord. And God will judge the world by the righteousness of His Son with Jesus Christ seated at His side had an absolute agreement one with another. And I'm not preaching on the judgment, but I'm preaching on the judgment right now. And there will come a day when we will answer before the Lord and give an account of what we have done through our souls in this body. And what really matters, my friend, is that eternal part of man. And while man has gone to the gym and dressed up the Alfred fellow, while he's run a mile after mile on a treadmill like a rat, and my friend trying to keep this natural body in shape while he deprives himself of real food like butter and sugar and uh, my friend hot dogs and hamburgers and pizza and bread and rolls and milk and ice cream while he has declined, deprived his body of good food and has eaten kale and dandelions and clover and other things that nobody really likes has spinach and all that stuff had it not been for Popeye, I probably would have never eaten anything green growing 
up. But I'm telling you, I wanted to be like Popeye. And so I learned how to eat those green things. I'm telling you, but what we have done is we've tried to work on the outward man. Every one of you looks so good this morning. You got up and you combed your hair and you brushed your teeth and you put on nice clothes and all of those things. I mean, decorated up the outward man. I appreciate the fact that you look so good at the house of God. It's nice to have a good looking crowd to preach to. And we even appreciate the rest of you coming. Amen. Oh, thank God. But when it comes right down to it, if you put on the finest suit of clothes and you fare sumptuously every day like the rich man in Luke 16 and you neglect your soul and the man on the inside is dirty and black and sinful ungodly and lost and you meet God unprepared and stand before the Lord and hear Him say, Depart from me, you work of iniquity for I never knew you. What have you gained if you gained the whole world and lose your own soul? If you drive a chariot, my friend, if you have the nicest home and the nicest clothes, and if you have a good life, if you have all the luxuries of life, if you can binge on Netflix and Cheetos until you turn to a plastic bag with eyes, but you do not have Christ in your heart, if you're entertained, if you are mesmerized by this world, if you have every luxury that life has to offer, but you do not have of Christ living in your soul and then your eternal man is empty void and without purpose and what life is really all about is that man on the inside that man on the inside cannot be satisfied with things of carnality or of things of this old world he lives for the eternal and not the temporal that's a sub point of the introduction I can't keep preaching there but that is what has been neglected in our world and amongst even Christian folks and saved people some have my friend to deal with the problem of the soul's need for redemption but though you have been redeemed you have ignored the development of the soul the development of the spirit man the development of your discipleship wall hey, you're still an infant in Christ helpless and my friend needing a pacifier and a bottle to get by and the Lord is calling for us to nourish ourselves with the word of God and to grow up in Jesus to become mature and perfect in Christ he wants to make you like his son Jesus he has a perfect son and he wants us to become like him this morning. It's what discipleship is about. Becoming like God's perfect son. Amen. Oh, he's got a house full this morning of flawed sons, of sons with shortfalls, of sons with blight on their records, of sons with who have feet of clay. That's all of us. Oh, but he has a perfect son, and he's trying to develop us to make us like his perfect son. He wants to make you and I like unto Jesus. Anybody know what I'm preaching about this morning? And that soul is what he talks about in verse 26. And then in verse 27 and 28, he tells about the Spirit of God. He said that my friend that the, that the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then shall his reward they shall reward every man according to his works. Then preached a little bit on the judgment. Not going to spend a lot of time in that verse. At verse 28, verily I said to you, shall be some standing here right now while he's preaching. How which shall not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming into his kingdom? How you see the Holy Ghost would come at Pentecost? Glory would fill the earth. How they would see the beginning of the church age that would close out soon with Christ manifested in power and great glory when he comes from his home in the sky. He will return with a sword in his mouth, with a horse beneath him, with the thrones of heaven with him, and with a banner about his body declaring King of kings and Lord of lords, and every eye shall behold him, even they that pierced him, and many shall wail because of him, that those who are they will ride with him and we will receive the glory that has been promised in our souls. Hey, praise God, he that's begun a good work in you shall perform this until the day of redemption. I'm glad God will see it through. Hath he promised and shall he not also perform me? And I'll tell you, our Lord will see it through. Now, having said those things parenthetically and by way of introduction, I want to try to preach a little sermonette to you this morning about discipleship. 
Jesus teaches this to his disciples in verse number 21. From that time forth, Jesus began to show his disciples. At verse number 24, then Jesus said unto his disciples, I don't know about you, but I want to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. He stops in the midst of it all to tell us what discipleship is about. And so this morning I have four things and no things about those things. And like I said, I'm just going to preach a sermonette now that I got done with my introduction this morning. Again, I'm breaking all the rules and that ought not to surprise anybody. Brother Bud Stiller said you had to have three things and a few things about those things and I do that a lot. But sometimes I break all the rules of sermon structure and just preach. Hallelujah. And it hurt my feelings if the Lord never let me do that. Amen. Also this morning four things. First of all, discipleship defined. Secondly, discipleship's deficiency. Thirdly, discipleship's description. And fourthly, discipleship's deliverance. And we'll come to all of those things. Let's begin with the definition. Discipleship defined. Verses 24 and 25, Jesus says, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever shall save his life shall lose it. Whosoever shall lose his life for my sake shall find it. Discipleship defined. If you forget everything else I say, write this next sentence down. Bold face it, italicize it, underline it, and highlight it, my friend. This next sentence, discipleship is defined as long obedience in the same direction. Long obedience in the same direction. I'll probably say it 200 times if you didn't catch it all the first two times. It'll be alright. Long obedience in the same direction. What do you mean by that? I mean that there will be ups and downs, imperfections, failures, successes and victories. But over the long haul, we're still going in the same direction. Proverbs 24 and 16 says it this way. A just man falleth seven times and riseth up again. The disciple rises up from his failures. He dusts himself off and he continues in the same direction he was going before he fell. One man said it this way, unbelief falls backwards, faith falls forward. Unbelief falls backwards, faith falls forward. True faith like James describes in his epistle, the kind of faith that works, faith without works is dead, but the kind of faith that works is a long obedience in the same direction. Am I a disciple this morning because I've never failed Jesus? Oh no. By the way, any other disciple in this building here today can also not be able to say that I have never failed Jesus. There is nobody in the building today who can say that I have never failed Jesus. That just because I have failed Jesus, just because I had ups and downs, doesn't mean that I'm not still going in the same direction that I started out in. Hallelujah. I'm on my way home. I'm not home yet, but I'm on my way home. Hallelujah. Oh, I'm telling you, long obedience in the same direction. Now look at what Peter here in early in our chapter, Jesus says, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? That's what Jesus asked of them. Verse number 13, and they said, some say the third John the Baptist or lies. Others, some of the Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. But he said to them, whom do you say that I am? Simon Peter, there he is, answered and said in verse 16, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now is Simon Peter right about this? Absolutely. You better know he's right about it. If he's Christ, the Son of the living God, why is it that just some tw- less than 10 verses later, six, eight verses later, this same Peter grabs Jesus and says, you're not right. You're not going to have this happen. I will not stand for it. You're not doing right if he is the Christ, the Son of the living God. 
Uh, then my friend, these things too, uh, two things don't add up. Look what Jesus had to say about Peter. Well, maybe Peter's just saying stuff. Uh, maybe Peter don't really understand. But verse 17, Blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonas, for flesh and blood have not revealed this unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. He's enough of a disciple that he's getting heavenly revelation. Is that not right? Uh, verse number 18, I say also to thee, if thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church in the gates of hell, shall not prevail against him. And Peter is that little stone. And then he says upon this rock, that is Christ, the big stone, I'll build my church in the gates of hell, shall not prevail against him. Verse 19, and I will give unto thee, still talking to Peter, the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth, that shall be bound in heaven, whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth, that shall be loosed in heaven. How we got some letting to go on as we preached about last Sunday night. Oh, my friend, and then Jesus starts teaching them about his death and Peter starts arguing with him. He has hardly gotten done with one victory. See if you can relate to this, please. Listen. He has hardly gotten done with one victory before he's already in the snare of defeat all over again. Is there anybody in the building this morning that can relate to that? Hardly gotten done with one victory till he is in the snare of defeat again. Here's my question for you. Is Peter still a disciple when he says, Lord, be it far from thee? Is he still a disciple when Jesus looked at him and says, you're acting like the devil? Is he still a disciple when Jesus said, you've offended me? You have hurt me. You have wounded me. Is he still a disciple when Jesus says you have uh, savored the things of God, of man and not the things of God? The answer is a resounding yes. Not only is he a disciple, he's maybe the best one Jesus has. He's the only one that walks on water. He's the only one Jesus called a rock. He's the only one that stood as close as the fire pit next to the place where Jesus was being tried in the kangaroo court on the night he was arrested. He's the only one that raised up a sword to try to cut off the head of those people that came against Jesus. Now that wasn't the right thing to do, but he was trying. Amen. Peter is the one that stood up on the day of Pentecost and preached and 3,000 converts came to Christ. Is Peter still a disciple? Absolutely. You bet your life he is. And today you know what the devil like to tell some of you? Because you have seen the snare of defeat following some of victory. He'd like to tell you you're not a disciple. You're not fit to serve Christ. You might as well give up. You don't need to serve God. And the Lord doesn't want anything to do with you. But the devil is a liar. And the mouth here when you believe him, you're acting like him. The mouth here when you follow him, you're following the wrong person. You're not to be a disciple of the devil. You're not to be a disciple of the world. You're not to be a disciple of man. You're to be a disciple of Christ. And that means when you fall down, you get back up again. Dust all that mess off and keep heading in the right direction. Long obedience in the same direction. You know why I'm still a disciple of Christ after 30 years of being saved? And this coming week will be 31 years since I got born again. You know the reason why I'm still a disciple? It is not because I have been perfect, but it's because I've continued. I've just kept on keeping on. I just keep on going. The reason why I hadn't quit is because I hadn't quit. Are you listening to me this morning? And if you just won't quit, you won't quit. Hallelujah. Just keep on. Long obedience in the same direction. I'd like to be able to stand up here and tell all of you that I have never fallen short. That I never let my temper float off. Problem is, is then I'd have to deal with the issue of lying. And that'd be one more sin to have to answer for. Amen? Amen. You would too. Some of y'all sitting there right now trying to look innocent. And you hadn't lied out loud, but you are so guilty of deception from the look on your face. <laughs> you think that I'm so blind I can't see the horns that hold your halo up. 
The disciple continues. Listen to me. Unbelief falls backwards. Faith falls forward. True faith has a kind that works long obedience. Sanctification is the process by which the disciple is led, taught, and refined. And it is not the absence of adversity or carnality, but it is the change of character and integrity. It is not the absence of adversity or carnality. It is the change of character and integrity. Second Peter 3 and 11 describes it this way how what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness how one writer years ago said it's as simple as this how for the child of God how shall we live it does matter how we live and I cannot do this alone I am corrupt and fallen I have feet of clay which tells me this must begin with a conversion and I'm thankful to say this morning I am saved 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 I'm born again, washed in the blood. I have somebody living in me. And salvation, my experience with God, created within me a means to persevere through the process of becoming a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. I could not do it alone, but I don't have to. Though others would be lonely when all their friends are gone, my Lord is ever standing by my side. There's a heavy load upon me, yet I'm pressing on long obedience in the same direction. Yet I'm pressing on because I found a Savior, friend, and God. Oh, yes, I have somebody with me to share my heavy load. I feel His presence near me every day. I'm telling you, long obedience in the same direction. That's the definition of discipleship. Discipleship defined, number one. I've got to give you another little point. A sermon ad has got to have pointillets. I don't even know if that's a word, but it is now. A discipleship defined. Now it is discipleship's deficiency. Verses 22 and 23. Peter, he acts up in a way that's not pleasing to the Lord. We've already talked about that a lot. Discipleship. Listen to this phrase. Discipleship is not perfection. Discipleship is not perfection. It is perseverance. Discipleship is not perfection. It is perseverance. Peter never stopped being a disciple. He tried twice to thwart the eternal redemption plan of God. He tells Jesus that he's not going to die. He's not going to be buried. He's not going to be put in a grave. And if Jesus didn't do any of those things, we all would be on our way to hell. If Peter got what he thought he wanted, we all would be in trouble 2,000 years later. If God always did things the way we think he should, and we wouldn't want what he did. But I'm glad he knows best. But just because Peter, how when they come to arrest Jesus, Peter tried to cut the head off the soldiers. Why they need soldiers to arrest Jesus to take him to court? And my friend, so he'd be prepared to go to Calvary. He's trying to intervene in something that does not belong to him. And yet my friend Christ rebukes him sternly tells him he's acting like the devil oh Jesus rebuked him with the soldiers man my friend at the time of the trial of Christ Peter warms himself by the fire with those who oppose Christ he denied the Lord three times cursed and swore he never knew the Lord and Jesus looked on him not with anger but with disappointment have you ever felt the eyes of the Lord fall upon your life and you knew that it was not just a God was angry with you but that he was disappointed in the failure of your discipleship, in the downfall, in the deficiency of your discipleship. Every person who served the Lord very long knows what that's like. Oh my friend Peter was in failure but he was still a disciple. His obedience was deficient and incomplete but his relationship was still real. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He went to a field and wept bitterly. He wept bitterly because of his disobedience. And God used him again. Peter's life was filled with great highs and disappointing lows. And in the end, he died upside down on a cruel cross for preaching the gospel. And now when we examine his life in hindsight, we don't declare him a failure because he fell down. We don't declare him a mouth and a 
loser because he said to his coat. I know we see long obedience in the same direction. Not only do we say he's a disciple, he's the great fisherman. He's maybe the best one Jesus ever had. Hear me, friend. The devil's trying to beat you down. But just keep on getting up and going in the same direction. Following, panting after Christ. Panting after Christ. Discipleship is not perfection. It is perseverance. Don't let the disciples' failure define your life. Failure is not final. Failure is not fatal. But failure is the foundation for you to stand back up on your feet. And head on in the same direction. Yeah, Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You need not bow your knees and confess things you haven't even done. You need not apologize for things you're not even responsible for. You have enough sin in your own life to confess. That you need not worry about confessing the sins of your forefathers. For which you are not responsible and likely don't even know all that. Amen. 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 What you need to do is confess your own sin. Confess your sin before God. And then rise back up. And even on your own sin, not only do you not have to be mired down the quiet fire of the sin of your fathers, you don't even need to be mired the quiet fire of your own sin. When the Lord forgives you, rise back up again and continue in the same direction after Christ. After Christ. Discipleship defined, discipleship's deficiency. Number three, discipleship's description. Words mean things. Words mean things. Grace, have you ever heard that phrase before? Maybe, I don't know, four or five billion times. Words mean things. Discipleship is the process of disciplining oneself by a standard. Listen, discipleship is just what it sounds like. It involves discipline. Words mean things. The word disciple means you are attempting to discipline yourself. You are a follower. You are a, a disciple. You are disciplining yourself according to a standard. If we will be disciples of Christ, then he must be the standard by which we discipline ourselves. How we are not to discipline ourselves according to the standard of the church or according to the standard of pop culture or according to the standard of society or according to the standard of government or according to the standard of media. How those things change all the time anyway. They change just like we change. How they are shifting sand. But if you are to be a disciple of Christ, you are to discipline yourself according to the standard of Christ Jesus. He's the one I'm disciplining myself to follow. He's the one that I'm following about. Reminded of the boy that had a pencil-tailed mule in the middle of the field. And he's plowing and his daddy told him how to do it. He said, the roads are so crooked, son. He said, what you need to do is fix your eyes on one thing. And he said, set your eyes on that one thing. Go straight from where you are directly towards that one thing. He said, that'll take all these crooks and corners and curves out of these roads you're plowing. And then come back about two hours later to check on him. And that field had been plowed up like as a figure eight. I mean, it was all over the place, crooked and backwards and forwards and sideways. And up and down and turned terraces upside down. And his dad he said, my soul, son, what in the world did you do? I mean, did you not set your eyes on one thing and follow that one thing? He said, yes, I did. Well, what in the world were you looking at? He said, that cow right over there. Oh, you see, that won't work. If you're following something that's moving, if you're following a moving target, you'll never shoot a straight line. You've got to set your eyes on something that doesn't move. Set your eyes on something that doesn't shake. Set your focus on something that doesn't change. Christ is our rock. He's the big rock, not Peter the small rock. He's the big rock. He's the one we set our focus on. He never moves. He never changes. He's always the same. And if we'll have long obedience in that same direction towards Christ, you might fall down, but you'll still plow a straight road if you get back up and head for the rock. Amen. Hallelujah. Yes, sir. 
So he's our standard. Long obedience in the same direction. As a disciple, you'll have some character qualities that are in agreement with each other. You'll be living by the Spirit. That is the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long, suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Ain't that such there is no law? You don't have to write all them down there in Galatians 5. And my friend, you'll have the fruit of the Spirit. And that does not mean perfect fruit, but it does mean prevalent fruit. In your life, it will be prevalently populated. I will love, joy, peace, long, suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. That fruit is prevalent, not perfected while we are in this body. But keep on in the same direction. And so the the disciple has living by the Spirit is his quality. Obedience to the Word is his quality. And John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. Peter failed to support him, came him short. But in the end, he finished the race with long obedience in the same direction. And then also realize it is about the destination. You know what this world says? This world says it ain't about the destination, it's about the journey. How many times have you heard that foolishness? Brother John, if you believe that, you need to take your children, or your boys, they're not all children anymore. Um, take your family, there you go, I'm looking for the right word, on vacation and go for a long trip, I don't know, to South Dakota to see Mount Rushmore or the Badlands or something, and drive, don't fly, drive all the way there. And don't stop even for lunch, or to go to make a pit stop somewhere, or to spend the night, just take it all the way through in the car. And wait and see if your boy is somewhere or another in the back. Don't say something like, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? And you say, all oh, sudden. It is not John Daniel. He's the one that will do it. You know he will. He, uh, and so he'll say, are we there yet? Are we not ever going to get there? Where is this place anyway? If you want to think it's about the destination, you say, oh, John Daniel. It is not about the destination. It's about the journey. He sticks his head over towards the wind and all he sees is the concrete of the interstate highway and says, Dad, I'm tired of this journey. I'm ready to get to the destination. I'm going to tell you what happened to you in your Christian walk. There will be some days when it seems like you're going through grounds you've seen before. I'm going through cornfields you've seen before. Across rivers and mountains and valleys you've been through before. It'll seem like you get weary of the journey. But remember, it's not about the journey. Anybody listening? It is about the destination. It is about hearing him say, well done, my good and faithful servant. It is about the destination. Hallelujah. It's long obedience in the same direction. And this long obedience is not going to last forever. This direction is not going to last forever. One day the journey will be done. Our reward will stand before us. And we'll say it's been worth every mile. It's been worth every mile. It's been worth every valley. It's all about the destination. Hallelujah. Where we mess up is when we begin to make decisions based on the moment instead of eternity. Our true purpose is a forever purpose, an eternal purpose. My friend, it is about the destination. Our most foolish choices are made in the moment, not with eternal consideration. Living in the moment is killing us. Impulse is human nature, fallen nature. But faith is the renewed nature. Faith is the born-again nature. Faith believes when common sense says not to. Faith believes when you don't see anything. Faith believes just because God said so. Faith believes just because you got a word from the Lord. Yeah. Faith says the world says it ain't so, but God says it is so. Yeah. And that settles it even if I can't understand it, it's still true. Yeah. I just believe what God says. Amen. 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 Discipleship's description, and I'm finishing. I have to quit. I have to. Discipleship's deliverance. Verse number 26. <laughs> for what is a man profited if you should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Our deliverance is not 
a matter of never getting sick, having health and wealth, if not being able to have no trouble in life, our deliverance as a disciple is a soul work. My soul is saved. Anybody know what it is to have your soul saved? I don't know how many times now the Lord testimony may come around. This is the way it go every time. This is the way it go one after another. People be seeing the pastor say, so anybody got anything they want to say for the Lord? I just want to stand and say, I love the Lord. I want to thank him for saving my soul right back down that sit. Somebody else stand and say, I just want to say, say, I thank the Lord for saving my soul. I love the Lord. And sit right back down. Somebody else I want to stand and say, I love the Lord. I don't want to thank him for saving my soul. Oh, I remember those one after another after another. That's just a boy. I'm going up to the house of God. And here I am, a 44, you're a 45 year old man. And I still say, I love the Lord. And I want to thank him for saving my soul. The disciples' deliverance is a soul work. Hallelujah. My soul is saved. Sin still has a consequence. And a disciple does not escape them. But our souls have no condemnation. There are consequences for behavior, even for the forgiven. The forgiven thief at Calvary, whatever he calls on the Lord, remember when he comes to his kingdom, Jesus didn't say, this man right here has been saved. Take these nails out, let him down. I'm going to baptize him in the river Jordan. I'm make a missionary out of him. Oh, no. He died on the cross that he earned. He admitted it. He said, we are here indeed justly. But this man has done nothing amiss. And he died on what he deserved. There were still consequences. I tell you what it changed. Jesus said today, thou shalt be with me in paradise. Whereas the consequences of life may not change. The condemnation of the law has been removed from us. Hallelujah. Salvation didn't eliminate the consequences of our decisions, but it's eliminated the condemnation of our souls before God. You remember Romans 26 and 23, the wages of sin is death. What are wages? Something you earn. It's a payroll. It is where you get the payday. You earn what you've got. If you are suffering for sin, if my friend, you are have suffering consequences of sin, you earned that thing. You earned it. You got what you deserve. Man gets in a bar and brawl today. He's drunk. He's a fool. He's misbehaving himself. He stabs somebody, shoots somebody. They break his leg and his arm. And they cut a limb off. And then he gets bored again, laying. And my friend laying in the slop. And the wine and the whiskey of the barroom floor. His arm and leg does not get unbroken. And his limb does not grow back. And the record of what he had just did is not absolved in the eyes of the but in the eyes of the Lord there is no condemnation well if the Lord's forgiven me everybody else ought to leave me alone got news for you consequences don't go away but when the Lord's forgiven you it means when you stand before him one day in judgment Hallelujah. And every devil in hell says, I remember when. I remember when. I remember when. God says, I don't know what you're talking about. What sins are you talking about? (laughs) Hallelujah. Our condemnation has been lifted from us. Thank God. Praise God. Too often we treat the Lord like he was an evil Santa Claus. You know what I'm talking about? And the evil Santa Claus is making a list and he's checking it twice. And he's going to find out who's naughty and nice. Not so he can give gifts unto the ones that's been nice, but so he can find every little naughty thing you've done and come haunt you in the middle of the night in your dreams for it. That is not the way God operates. I can tell you who does. The devil. Ain't that right? Is he not the accused of the bread and brother Matthew? Is that not what your King James Bible says? He's the one that's making a list and checking it twice and coming to accuse you for every place he can find where you stuck your toe, where you stumbled and failed, where you came up short. He's the one holding that against you. 
He nails it to his cross and puts himself up there with it and said, The blood, the blood covers it all. And there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And see, says, All who receive the condemnment, it is Christ that justifies. And we are more than conquerors to him that loved us. I'm telling you, the consequences have not been lifted, but the condemnation is gone. Praise God, I'm glad I'm saved. Condemnation is called. I don't mean some of us are at Maybe the Lord knows one of my faults is that uh, as, as, as imperfect as I'm, but I don't like to try to say I like a smart we could eliminate a lot of medicines prescribed in this world if people just realized that Jesus already took all their sin. Put it in his cross. Hung it on his body and paid for it. And he's not asking you to atone for your own sins. <laughs> Hallelujah! He's asking you to trust him to take away your sin. He's not requiring of you to absolve yourself. That's what Satan demands. And my friend, he knows you cannot. He says if you be the Christ, come down for that cross. I'm telling you, better come down. We're all going to hell. But praise God, He went all the way for you and me. And I'm telling you, there is no condemnation. And my soul is forgiven this morning. And you mean to ask me why I'd be a disciple of this man? Why I would live my life for Him? Were it not for him giving me life, I wouldn't have it. I live because Jesus lives. Oh, I love him. Yeah, I love him. He made a way when there was not a way. He took away all my sin guilt. He made me new in him, and I love him this morning. That's why I want to be his disciple. That's why I want to be his disciple. I must cease here. There is nothing more important than forgiveness. Our deliverance is in Him. Amen. I'm not preaching a false gospel. I'm not preaching a friendly gospel. I'm not preaching a prosperity gospel. I'm preaching a reality gospel. Consequences will remain. You get saved this morning. It's not going to fix your other problem. It's not going to cause you to have gold teeth and all your hands to lay. Have double your tags. Have you to have gold nuggets hanging from your trees around your house. Have gold dust to be falling out of your ceiling. That is caused by termites. I'm not by the blessings of the Lord. I'm saying unto you, if you're born again, you can sell each if a man gained the whole world and lose his soul, what is he profiting? I'm saying I've been put sure and it's on the eternal. Jesus wants to change your soul. Yes, he does. And if he'll save your soul, you'll spend the rest of your life desiring to live for him. One more time, come on the song. Long obedience in the same direction. Not perfection, perseverance. Not perfection, pursuit. Y'all listen to me? Not perfection, but Matthew just pressing on. Not perfection. Are you a disciple this morning? Well, preacher, I, you know, I should have won't be. I, I've fallen so far short. Times I didn't do right. We just read about a man hanging like the devil. Probably the best disciple Jesus ever had. The question is, are you keeping on going in the same direction, pursuing Christ? Keep on. Trying to apprehend that which you have been apprehended of, as Paul calls it in the book of Philippians. I've got enough right here on this closing point I'm preaching out right now. I cannot. And dwelling on some things this week. Dwelling on some things the last few days. If you were on my front with John during the week this weekend. You only got the tip of the iceberg. That's good. Praise God. Oh my. I am but a broken pitcher. 
I'm but a jar of clay. I pray, Lord, light my life up. Hey. And make me a witness for you. Yeah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Are you a disciple of the cross? Are you a follower of the Lamb? The prescription for success in the family is for dad to follow Jesus. Yeah. So your family can follow you. Yeah. Sister Brittany, this is our closing verses. I thought the message seemed to sound familiar. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Having the life in his way. Though he fall, he shall not only be cast down. For the Lord upholdeth him. Let him say, long obedience in the same direction. I have been young and now I'm old. Long obedience in the same direction. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his seed bending red. I tell you, I'm now I know that Jesus is Lord. You ask me why I'm happy. I'll tell you why. My sins are gone. Everybody stand. Everybody stand. Down in your heart, you know it. People across this building this morning, down in your heart, the Holy Ghost is speaking to you. Down in your heart, you're saying to yourself, I'm not living right. I know I'm just not living right. Some of you this morning not living right because you're lost. Some of you not living right because you're cold on God. Some of you are not living right because you're backslid. Some of you not living right because you stepped your toe. And the devil said you may as well just lay there in the ash heap of your failure and not rise up again, but he's alive. No matter what the cause this morning, if you are delayed, if you are uh, in any way hindered in your discipleship. Once